This morning is from Proverbs chapter 8, which is a really, really interesting chapter in Proverbs. Um, it's, it's, it's a creation account. It's, um, I, did you know there was a creation account in Proverbs? Um, you probably didn't. I, uh, we think of Genesis 1, and then there's the creation account in Genesis 2, which is slightly different than Genesis 1. There's John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, um, which is sort of a more philosophical, theological account of creation. And there's a fourth one in Scripture, and it's this passage in Proverbs 8, which describes God creating all things with woman wisdom by his side. Michelangelo, the Sistine Chapel, um, has the image of God reaching out to touch Adam, and next to God is a woman. And um, the woman is, is not Eve, as a lot of people think of it. Um, it's woman wisdom who creates alongside of, of God. So there's this account of creation in Proverbs 8, which is just a startling passage. I got back from Uganda on Thursday, and I'll be honest, I didn't have time to really like put together... I love this passage from Proverbs 8. Um, I didn't really have time to do all of it justice. Um, But I'm excited to read through it um, and to look at it with you this morning. Proverbs 8, we're going to jump a little bit around here. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals she cries out to you, O people, I call. And my cry is to all that live. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master worker. And I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On Tuesday of this week, I was at the source of the Nile River with my daughter Maya, who will turn two in September. There are a few different sources of the Nile. It's debated. We were at a place in Uganda where Lake Victoria narrows and springs of water from underneath the earth cause the Nile to flow north towards Egypt. The Nile is 4,130 miles long, and it all starts right there. We drove to a place called Bujigali, where there are a number of falls, which are not really waterfalls so much as they are places where the Nile constricts And all of the water is forced through a tightened passage over rocks. And there are class 6 rapids. There aren't that many class 6 rapids in the world. Class 6 rapids are too dangerous to raft down. I carried Maya down this hill to watch the furious water hurtle over itself. Maya and I both stared, mesmerized. A guide, a local guide, came and took our small group kind of on this long path this winding journey along the river. 
um, villagers use 20-foot fishing poles so they can send their, their, their lines out over past the most rocky places to catch fish. And there were f- chunks of fish lying on rocks drying. Um, we got to an area with class 5 rapids, which is the most volatile rapids that you can still raft on. It's basically a roller coaster with no assurance that it will keep you safe. And then three men from the village wearing life vests came up to us and asked if they could jump in and body surf for our entertainment. And we were shocked. And my first reaction was like, absolutely not. Like, you cannot do this for our entertainment. Um, and and they, they started, they started um, bartering. They started lowering their price uh, so that they could do this. They pleaded with us. The guide explained that this is how they make they're living. One or two groups like us will pass through in a week. And this is a pretty remote area, so it's not a ton of tourists who get to this spot. Um, and so, so the guy was like, uh, you know, a few groups come in, and if they can get you to pay for this, they, you know, it changes, you know, how their week goes. Um, I'm not, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure what the right thing to do was, um, but I, I didn't barter with them. I agreed to the initial price that they said, and they were excited, and they ran up the river to the spot where they would jump in. And they, uh, they stand out on this rock that kind of juts out into the middle of the Nile, and the first guy goes out there, and he looks at you, and he waves, um, and then he jumps in into this crazy river, and he starts swimming as hard as he can against the current to try to get to, I, I assume, like, to get to this spot where he knows he'll be able to, like, ride the current, right? And, um, and so he's, he, he's furious, and then he rides this current, and then there's this one spot where it, you know, crashes into itself, and he, 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 die, he goes down into it and then just flies out the other end of the river and then swims as hard as he can and gets to the side and gets out, and we're all, you know, it's incredible. And then the second guy, the second guy comes out and waves, and, and he does his thing, he jumps, and he gets to a different spot and kind of just takes a different path, and then the third guy does the same thing, waves and jumps in, and, um, and yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, yeah, the next two men followed suit, each picking a different place to allow the current to swallow them up and then spit them out. And just then, a rafting group came through, and it began to rain. I didn't know how far we were from our van, and it began to rain harder and harder, Our group wanted to watch the raft of white bodies get tossed around by the Nile. It started raining pretty hard. Maya began to cry. The raft started coming by, and one big guy got tossed way into the air out of the raft and into the current. He was fine. And we began then scurrying away as quickly as we could to try to get back to our van. Maya was crying. Um, my left arm was falling asleep, and the path that this guy took us to was like pretty. We had kind of walked around, and now the path back up was pretty vertical, and um, it was a dirt path that had become just pure mud. And um, so, I'm, 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 I'm Maya's crying because we're getting very wet, and my left arm is falling asleep, and my shoes couldn't catch any traction. 
And I fell forward, and I caught myself on my right arm, and Maya was crying louder, and the rain turned into a downpour. And in this moment, I thought to myself, well, I didn't really think this to myself, but my body thought it, maybe it isn't wise to bring a 21-month-old to Uganda, particularly to some rural bend where the Nile is the most ferocious and you have no idea how to get home. We made it back. I got back Thursday afternoon from a 10-day trip to Uganda with Maya, and that moment at the Nile was not the only point at which I wondered whether it was wisdom to travel by myself with her to a sub-Saharan country. And I looked early in the week at what the passage was this week that I had chosen like a couple weeks ago because I knew I was going to be gone, and I saw that it was on wisdom, and I thought, that's not that convenient for me like to come back and preach on. Um, But it's been an interesting confluence of reading through Proverbs, thinking about wisdom from the perspective of wisdom literature, and experiencing this trip. I just want to say a couple things about wisdom. Two things that wisdom is not. Growing up, I was told that wisdom is the application of knowledge. And that's probably the dictionary definition. But it's not Proverbs definition. It's not That's not the biblical definition of wisdom. The Bible's definition of wisdom is as deep as Lake Michigan, as layered as a summer forest. Wisdom, as we just heard, is a person with a voice. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, in particular in wisdom literature. And wisdom literature is is, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Job. And those four books are the authoritative source on wisdom in scripture. And they have a particular understanding of what wisdom is. In Hebrew, chokmah. Um, and, 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 and according to wisdom literature, wisdom is not the application of knowledge. That is way too shallow of a definition. In particular, in wisdom literature, wisdom is a woman. A beautiful, powerful woman. And becoming wise is less acquiring knowledge and applying it as it is entering into a dynamic relationship with a living thing, something dynamic and vibrant, something that shouts and dances and heals and breathes, and you don't acquire wisdom. You sit with her. You get to know her. You begin to become familiar to her voice, calling out at the city gate to all who live. Wisdom, according to Old Testament scholar Ellen Davis, is Quote, living in the world in such a way that God and God's intentions for the world are acknowledged in all that we do. In other words, wisdom has a direction, an intention. It isn't simply applying knowledge. Creating the atomic bomb was an application of knowledge. But it was not walking in the path of God's intentions for the world. It was not walking in the path of wisdom. There are brilliant people applying knowledge in every field, But those who find wisdom, and with it peace, are those who apply their knowledge in the direction of God's intentions for the flourishing of the entire world. You may have great knowledge, but you have wisdom only when you have sat with her and listened and understood how your knowledge, how your particular skills, your life, your uniqueness might be directed towards peace with God and peace for the world. Those who walk in wisdom have sat with her long enough that God's intentions for the world are grooved into them like lines in fine vinyl. 
They have listened to her and have understood that their primary vocation is to walk in wisdom. Wisdom is not simply the application of knowledge. And wisdom is also not, this is the second thing, wisdom is not synonymous with caution. The wise are not those who avoid danger. Wisdom doesn't avoid danger, it picks its spots. I think we often describe things as wise whenever caution is heeded. And sometimes that's certainly true. And there are a lot of Proverbs um, that, would, that would support that understanding of wisdom, where caution is the better part of valor. Is that the phrase? I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, th- there are a lot of Proverbs, for example, that, that um, encourage silence, you know, and essentially say, the wise keep their mouth shut and fools keep yapping. Uh, another one says, um, even fools might be considered wise if they keep their mouths closed. Um, you think of times in the Gospels when, when Jesus sort of embodies this sense of wisdom, when he's silent before his accusers, or when he's asked whether he should condemn a woman caught in adultery, and he doesn't answer quickly. He's cautious and silent, and he bends down, and he writes in the sand, seeming to buy himself some time, maybe. He exhibits caution, but he also doesn't exhibit caution in certain situations. Walking in the way of wisdom, seeking God's peace for yourself in the world is not accomplished simply by acts of omission, by simply by not doing things. Wisdom is also choosing to do things. It's not simply choosing not to go somewhere or not to commit to something or deciding to pass on an opportunity. Sometimes that's wisdom, but wisdom is also sometimes going for it. I was thinking of the story of Gideon, which is, you know, so the story of Gideon is that He's one of the judges of Israel, one of the, one of the early stories in the Old Testament. And he has a, an army of 32,000 people going up against two separate armies that well outnumber them. And um, that seems unwise already, but, but he's going to do it. And then God says, you have too many troops. And, and so, so God says, you know, ask if anyone wants to go home. And so Gideon asks, does anyone want to go home? And 22,000 people go home. And then he has 10,000 people left. And, um, and Gideon's, you know, probably scratching his head. Um, you know, great strategy. Um, and, and then God says, yeah, you still have too many. Um, lead everyone down to the water for a drink, and then I'm going to tell you what to do. So Gideon leads everyone down to the water for a drink, and um, 9,700 of those people drink like this. They, they, they drink water that way. 300 people get down on their hands and knees and drink like a dog, right? These are, these, are, these are the 300 who decided not to go home when they had a chance, and they drink like a dog out of the water. And God says, those 300. And Gideon sends the 9,700 away. None of this is wise, um, or at least none of it seems to be wise. It doesn't make sense. And the end of the story is that those 300 um, confuse the however many thousands of the Midianites that they're going up against, and the Midianites end up running away, terrified, and the story goes out, and, um, and, and, and Gideon wins the battle, and God gets the glory because there were only 300, and there's no way they should have won. And, um, you know... 
inconvenient for us is that Scripture is full of these stories where wisdom just does not make sense, where Gideon chooses the wise thing, um, even though it seemed like the foolish thing. For Gideon to walk in the way of wisdom did not look like making the prudent decision. It looked like listening, sitting with God, knowing the voice of wisdom, trusting God's voice, and then making a decision that by all accounts didn't make any sense. And scripture is full of these examples. Walking in wisdom is not synonymous with doing the safe thing or the expected thing. Wisdom requires courage. Because when you have sat with her and understood her, she may ask you to do things that don't always make sense. She may give you the courage to do them. In 1 Corinthians, Paul describes Christ as the wisdom of God. A stumbling block to Gentiles, foolishness to the world. God's wisdom takes its ultimate form in the person of Christ, who does not make sense or add up. Along with woman wisdom, he offers peace that passes understanding. Those who come to him find the rest that wisdom offers. Christ is the wisdom of God, the way of understanding, the path towards peace with God, with others, with the world, with yourself. Woman wisdom invites us to sit with her and to find the courage to live boldly and confidently into the intentions of God for the world. And so I think we need to do two things to walk in wisdom. And the first is to create margin. If wisdom is a woman, a dynamic presence, a person more than it is a commodity, then we have to create margin in our lives to spend time with her. Wisdom calls out in the gate. She offers life and she alone. And running around striving to acquire her will not do it. We need margin to sit and be still, to rest with Christ, and to get to know wisdom and her voice and her ways. I'm always so grateful and proud when, um, when a family says they've decided not to do a fourth sport in the winter or um, when someone chooses a job that will allow them to have a little bit more margin in their lives. Um, and I'm grateful to the church for an opportunity for me to go to Uganda, a place that I need to go to create that space and margin in my own life, to see wisdom, to see Christ, to see what God is doing in a different way. Um, secondly, so we need to create margin. And secondly, while sometimes wisdom requires saying no, and I think for a lot of us, it, it, it does require saying no in order to create that margin that is wisdom. Sometimes it means saying yes. Sometimes it asks for Gideon-like courage, and it always requires the foolishness of Christ, offering ourselves on behalf of the world, recognizing that only in self-giving love will any of us find the peace that Christ offers. Our guide reached down to grab my hand. He helped me get my foot onto a root, and I regained my footing. Adrenaline and the grace of God helped me carry Maya and scurry up the hill. And I stood under a tree at the top and made sure that the other kids from the orphanage that had come with us on the trip made it to the top. And we got into the car, and we sat down, and I breathed. A sigh of relief. And I said to Maya, we got wet, didn't we? (laughs) 
And she looked at me wide-eyed and said, yeah. (laughs) She won't remember the 10 days that we spent in Uganda. We'll have the pictures to remind us of the trip. And maybe, hopefully, it will mean something to her someday that her mother was glad to miss her and to keep working for the sake of her meeting people halfway around the world. And maybe she'll appreciate that her dad was up for chasing her around the Brussels airport at one in the morning so that she could be in the lives of sisters and brothers a world away. Wisdom goes on to say, whoever finds me finds life, and all who hate me love death. Our trip wasn't easy or comfortable. It wasn't safer than staying at daycare in Lincoln Park. But I'm convinced that it was choosing life. Living in the way of wisdom is not a nice add-on to this one wild life that we have. It is the difference between life and death. May we create space this summer to sit with wisdom and to allow her to teach us the Father's heart. And may we have the courage to walk in wisdom by seeking God's intentions for the world with courage and boldness. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you desire to share your glory with us and that in Christ you have given us the fullness of your wisdom. I pray that you would help us to know her voice, to know the voice of Christ. Help us to create the margin to spend time sitting in the presence of Jesus, getting to know his voice, his heart, getting to know your intentions for the world so that we can boldly and courageously seek it on behalf of the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.